So I want to talk to you about the rest of your life. Some of you are worried uh, that I might talk to you for the rest of your life. Um, but uh, let me just say this. The world started in stillness. The world started as Holy Spirit incubated and brooded over creation, which like a baby chick was about to crack wide its shell. And out of the stillness, out of the waiting, out of the pregnant expectancy came his voice. Let there be light, power, energy, substance, matter, material explodes into existence. The world started out of stillness. And out of the stillness came a world-making power and voice. You see, out of the stillness comes, and the waiting, and the incubating comes, the power to create. Out of the stillness, and the incubating and the waiting comes, the power to create. That's day one, Genesis 1. Day two brings the heavens and on earth water, conditions that sustain life. Day three, organic matter introduces life. And then a new line in the Genesis 1 poem, and God saw that it was good. So if you read the poem, we're not talking science, and we're not, we're not commenting on science, we're not even commenting against science. We, we're exploring a theological statement as we take the text as read. And there's a new line to the poem. As life is introduced, it says this, and God saw that it was good. And every other day from that point, we'll have that line. And then our solar system finds its order. And again, there's evaluation and enjoyment as at the end of that day, God saw that it was good. And then day five, the oceans and the air teem with life. And God that saw that it was good. And a new line is introduced. God speaks blessing. Day one and two, there's just action. Day three, there's evaluation and goodness. Day four, it continues. Day five, evaluation and goodness is now added to with a spoken blessing from God. And God speaks and calls the oceans and the air to be fruitful, multiply, increase, he says. And then we pick up our reading from verse 24. And God said, and he continues to create with the power of his word. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and we're still in day six. Then God said, still in day six, let us make mankind, humankind, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures 
that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. The, the added line of the poem. But now, not just to multiply, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, mastery entrusted under dominion. He says this, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground and everything that has the breath of life going all that way back, I give every green plant for food. And it was so, day six coming to an end, and God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. It's taken it another step further. The poem builds and expands. Now we're not just looking at goodness, we're looking at very goodness. Oh, God is so chuffed. And there was evening, morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. So as Adrian mentioned, today we begin a new series, and thank you, Bevan, for overseeing uh, the Parables of the Kingdom series. And uh, I was talking to Bevan about the series, and he refused to preach it. He says he wants to uh, receive it. Um, I think we all kind of want to receive rest, but I'll let him get away with it this time. My sense is that over the next few weeks, God is going to take us into a space that is very personal, quite pastoral, but believe me, very, very powerful. See, out of rest comes the power to create. And we, when we want to see something happen and we are not front-loading rest, then power causes harm instead of beauty. And we so long to see a world in which the ecosystems take our breath away with their beauty. And God is inviting us into this place. So I want to explore the rest of your life. And of course, I'm playing with words and ambiguity. I could speak, you know, talk about the rest of your life. You think about the days that remain for you. Um, we could talk about the length of time you have. We could talk about the quality of days. What will the rest of your life be like. However, I believe that the rest of your life will be determined by whether you can find true rest in your life. It 
So the question is, what is the quality of rest that defines my life? What is the quality of rest that defines my life? God rests, and the quality of his rest and stillness is exquisite. <laughs> because he's, he's been in this space in which everything that's coming from him in the end can only be described as very good. And so God rests. And the rest of the Bible, pardon the pun, will argue that because we are made in his image, the power of our words and actions will be shaped and determined by the stillness and rest that precedes them. Because we are made in his image, I'll give you that again, the power of our words and actions will be shaped and determined by the stillness and the rest that precedes them. See, the biblical theme of rest is is just super, super strong. And so the heavens and the earth are completed. The seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing, and then he rested. And so we find as part of the very, very beginning, out of rest comes creation, and out of creation returns rest. Now, have you ever thought about this? Almighty God, almighty God, omnipotent God, Create a God who could just speak, say, let there be light, and there was light. He rested. He stopped. He rested from all his work, it says. And by the way, the, the, the Hebrew word here for work is speaking of this highly skilled, exquisite, creative craftsmanship. You know, there, there's a, this, the word melaka, and there's another Hebrew word for, lab, uh, for labor, aborda, which describes toil, which is just the mere graft, you know, the drain of energy that work can, can take out of you because all it demands is your energy in, instead of your essence. And it just needs your kilojoules instead of your creativity. And you don't feel like you're adding anything. You just feel like labor is taking from you. That's not the word here. The word used here is, is that through your work, you're actually investing something. You, you're creating something. You're activating. You're making something. And it's highly skilled and capable work that's being done. And so the creation... Uh, what we've got to realize then is that God is not drained one little bit by creation. I mean, he's not going, phew, that, that, that was hard. That was hard work. That, that took a lot out of me. I, I am going to need to rest. Listen, 0.00001% of God's power was used to make the universe as you know it. Actually, less infinitely less than that. God was not drained in order that he needed or chose rest. You see, the, the creation story describes this incredible, insane activation of power. And yet it did not deplete him. It delighted him. It satisfied him. And so we got to get this. God didn't rest because he was tired. He wasn't like, oh, 
hectic day at the office, guys. You know, Jesus, yeah, I know, I had to play a part in Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm in, you know. And they sort of like, you know, let's go to the pub and hit a few, and then, you know, we can kind of slow down at the end of this day. No. Like, he, he could do this every single week of his existence and not be diminished one fraction. And, and, and that's why we are not, you know, pantheists that believe that God is in everything in some kind of divine way. Of course, he's in everything. He holds everything together. He's the energy. He's the power. He's the light. But, but not everything is divine because it's filled with him because actually it's as glorious as the full extent of the heavens is. It's a fraction of who he is and it depleted nothing from him. And yet he chose to rest. Why? Key point. He rested because being at rest... Is part of who he is. It's at the essence of his nature. And so we enter true rest when we receive something of the nature of God himself. God rested, then he worked, then he rested again, then he worked, then he rested, etc. So the worldview of scripture is not work, 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 you get the point. It's rest. Work. Rest. Work. Rest. Work. Joy. Joy. Delight. Delight. Freedom. Freedom. Rest. See, we see something that begins to emerge in the text. Out of rest comes his work, yes. We've looked at that now, this glorious creation. Then comes his enjoyment and delight. It's sort of like at the end of every day. And as he starts to see the compound influence of what he's invested, and I pointed that out to you, doesn't every single day says this is good? I'm sure it was. It was brilliant when he said, let there be light, and it was amazing. But, you know, he, he finished, and then, and, then, and then by day three, you see this evaluation, this, this check. He doesn't even wait till the end of the week. He, he, he's kind of engaging, engaging. And he just takes time to reflect, contemplate, Look at what's coming out of what he is doing and celebrate and appreciate those moments. And so rest is to help us evaluate ultimately what we want to see from that time is real enjoyment and delight. And then out of rest comes connection. And the text here doesn't point to it in the sequence that I'm teaching it, but very definitely it's, it, it, it is the idea, and you'll see it in the rest of Scripture. But a Hebrew word in, in verse 1, where we saw that creation was completed in its vast array. Now, that's really an interesting word. It's a word that carries the idea of massive numbers of component parts that represent a single integrated whole. 
So when it talks about the galaxy as an array of stars, it's, it's like, like the, the ranks of the stars form this integrated, they, they, they're many individual stars, but they, they, they weave together to create this thing that we experience as one thing. The word is used to describe a massive army, a vast array of individual soldiers, now under orders, in ranks, and they connected by unseen lines of authority. And yet, if you were to watch that movie, you, I mean, watch you know, from above that army move, you, it would look as though it is a single entity. Because it's under orders from an unseen authority that's able to communicate into those lines. And as those lines, it acts as it were organically. And so you have these ranks and battalions and legions that get described as an array. And so what you see is the connectedness between things. That becomes evident when we pause. And the connectedness between things that gets strengthened when we rest. And then out of this comes that which is sacred and holy. Then God blessed the seventh day. And he made it. Holy. Something about this day of rest is sacred. Something about the principle of rest is sacred too. Now you're getting nervous that I'm going to make you all stop swimming on Sundays. And um, no, no, no. What we find. For example, in Sabbath, and Sabbath is not just weekly, by the way, and we'll see this as we go into the series, that these principles of being able to create out of a place of rest, out of a place of enjoyment and delight, out of a place of connection to God and to one another, we find that what we do, and as we rest and work, that all that we do becomes holy. Because we treat this time of rest as holy. Forget to treat this day of rest as holy and all other days become defiled. We'll look at this in more detail. But Jeremiah tells us that the land was not given its rest. Every seventh year, the land, the fields were supposed to be given rest. And whether they were supposed to do that sort of like in staggered sequence so that they didn't all have nothing in one year, or however it was supposed to work. But Israel just forgot to Sabbath the land. And Jeremiah says 70 years is 490 years worth of Sabbath missed. You're going to exile, and your exile will be 70 years, because for 500 years. If you ignore the Sabbath and the principle of rest, it will bite you until you're slowed down enough to re-enter the land. So over the coming weeks, we will look at several key passages. We're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where Sabbath is unpacked as part of the Ten Commandments. 
And it's very clear in that passage that Sabbath is critical for a just society. Um, and so you have the most leveling command of all the commands given in terms of power structures in the Ten Commandments, in which it's absolutely emphatic that this day of rest applies to the foreigner and to the lowliest servant in your household. Nobody has power over anybody on Sabbath. Sabbath rest will teach us about creation care, about uh, sustainability. And Jesus comes and he doesn't overthrow the Sabbath. He reclaims it as something that's been made for our benefit instead of as a burden. He reclaims it as that which restores. And he says the Sabbath was made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. And he establishes the Sabbath again as a time of healing, of freedom, and of ministry. Matthew 11, we'll see that he shows us that to follow him is to learn rest. For he himself is the source of rest. You see, the world was cursed in which our glorious work became toil. And part of what Jesus has done in his death on the cross is to break the curse of toil, restore the dignity of work, and out of the dignity of work comes the grace again of rest. But this is no longer escapism. And we'll have to look at that too. And Acts 3 shows us that revival and refreshing are released when God's people begin to rest in God's presence. And Hebrews 4 reveals that practicing Sabbath rest requires a lot of faith, a lot of trust, because you've got to stop running the world. Rest teaches us to stop trying to displace God. He's the one who never sleeps and yet lives at perfect rest. So we surrender our need to perform, to be respected, to generate value. By saying, I won't do anything value-creating, and I will receive my value purely out of my connection. So I can't wait, and I know this is not going to be easy, so let me, let me say this as, as we finish. The paradox is that because of the fall, we do have to contend for our rest. Jesus has done what is needed to restore the capacity to rest, and he invites us to come to him and find rest for our souls. But the paradox is that we're going to have to work hard. In fact, like the children of Israel, when Joshua is leading them into the promised land, it was the land of rest. And yet to gain access to that land, they would have to fight battle after battle. Finding your rest is a fight. Let me, you know, you guys are going, oh, geez, you, you just don't know how tough it is in teaching or engineering or blowing up things or finance or, you know, looking after a family or whatever it is. No, I don't. You know, my own work, my own career was, um, was cut short by ministry. I, I was looking at something. I used to be an air traffic controller, and I was looking at career stress, uh, sort of like categories as it relates to employment. And I saw that in America, the most stressed category of employment is air traffic control, followed by pastoring a local church. 
So I downscaled. <laughs> I don't have your stress, but you don't have mine. And you know what? We have his rest. Rest has become hard, hasn't it? It's become one of the hardest things we do. I want to look at why. And we would like to think it's because of factors out there. I want to show you that the things that prevent you from resting are the factors in here. And that if you'll address those, you will find power to deal with the factors out there. Because busyness is often just a way to hide from ourselves and convince everyone that we're very important. Rest, by contrast, is rooted in the security that trusting provides. Rest recognizes that God multiplies. God gives increase. God forgives. God atones. And supremely, God loves. And we'll discover that there's a difference between rest and sleep. There's a difference between rest and recreation. These things like sleep and recreation are good, but if pursued for themselves, become mere escapism. So instead of finding rest, we escape into sleep. Instead of finding rest, we escape into recreation. Instead of finding rest, we escape into addictions. You see, rest is chosen stillness. Attentive stillness. Appreciative stillness. Connected stillness. So sleep is important. But God is at rest and yet he never sleeps. So listen to what God told Moses in the tent of meeting. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You see, ultimately rest is not found in the absence of pressure, but in the presence of God. And you can think of a dozen different examples in which that is true. Whether for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fire, whether for the disciples in a boat, where a storm was raging, rest was not found in the absence of pressure and demands. Rest was found in the presence of God.